0: Where will you be in five years' time, 2024? Let me ask you a different question. What's your life plan for 10 years' time? Where do you plan to be in 2029? Many of us have different plans and different goals and different aspirations. Yours might be professional. Maybe it's educational, relational. It could be where you're living. What city? What country? Will you be in Northern Ireland? Will you be in Australia? Who knows where you'll be? What's your plan for 100 years' time? What about 200? 1,000? See, the truth of the matter is that we spend so much time dwelling and thinking and planning about tomorrow that it's very easy for all of us to lose sight of the reality that the Bible says about you, about me. And about us. The Bible makes the claim that you are an eternal being. And even though 100, 200, 1,000 years away from today seems like an impossibility, the opposite is true. In one way or another, you will be alive. The question is, where will you be? What will you be doing? You know, we've had a picture painted for us through song, and aren't they magnificent? And also through the word of God of the most famous death in history. Now, as everyone here would know, that every death is sad. Every death has consequences and ramifications, obviously for the person who dies, but also for the direct family and friends, the close relations of the person who dies. But tonight we've looked at the most famous death in history for a reason. Because the claim is that this death has ramifications and consequences for you and your death. That this action 2,000 years ago will affect your life in 2,000 years' time, in 20,000 years' time. What you say and what you think about the death of Jesus of Nazareth is the most important information you could possibly begin to understand. Now, many of us here tonight and tonight know the story or are familiar with the story. Of course, some of us are not. The arrest, the trial, the betrayal, the humiliation, the crucifixion of a carpenter, a Jewish carpenter in Palestine, in ancient Israel 2,000 years ago. Many of us are familiar with it. Many of us will know and we've just heard that Jesus, this carpenter, was led to a cross and they're crucified, executed like a common criminal. The way they treated the worst criminals in the ancient world. Now, I don't know about you. I grew up in a Christian family. And 10 years ago, if you had asked me, what's going on in the crucifixion of Jesus? What's it actually all about? The truth is, well, I would have answered something like this. It's a, an example of a great sacrifice. It's an example of great love. I even would have used the word sin. Oh, it's something about paying for sins. But my dear friends, no matter what your background, no matter where you've come from, to join us here tonight, I want to urge you that there's more to it than that. And it might very well be that whatever your background, tonight we will look at something which you might never have realised about the crucifixion of Jesus before. I want you to look again at the very final scene. It's his crucifixion. It's the moment he dies. Have a look. Luke 23, 44 to 46. It'll be on the screen. Let me read this again. And if you want, visualize what I'm going to read. It was now about noon. And darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last What is that? That is a picture, uh, an account of the death of Jesus. The very moment, have a look there, the very last sentence, he breathed his last, the very moment he died. But what I want to ask you right now is this. Who killed him? We've read it tonight. If I asked you right now to answer, and if you want to in your mind, please do, who killed Jesus? What would you say? Perhaps you'd say the Romans, they hung him up on the cross. Or maybe the Jews, they're the ones who brought him on for trial. Or maybe depending on your background, you'd say, well, I did. My sin was responsible. Now, I think and I hope that you see here that this account of the death of Jesus, it's not that straightforward, is it? It's quite an odd picture. We've got things like darkness, a torn curtain, final words. There are things happening here that are beneath the surface. You see, my friends, I'm utterly convinced that you will not ever, ever understand the death of Jesus until you know who did it. More than that, I'm utterly convinced that you will never understand the cross until you understand the cup. Now, you might think, my goodness, what on earth does this crazy Australian, what is he talking about, the cup? Well, let me just explain it. In the 24 hours before Jesus was arrested and crucified, he spent time with his disciples. They were in an upper room of like an inn. They had the last supper, the first ever communion service. And then Jesus leaves his disciples and he goes to a place called the Mount of Olives to a garden there called Gethsemane. We've sung about it and heard it sung for us and read about it tonight. Now take note, particular attention, of what happens on the garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is on his own. Luke 22:41. 41... He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Listen to this. Listen to what he prays. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. I don't know... How much you know about the Bible. But this is the most, one of the most shocking scenes in the whole collection of it. Why? Look at Jesus. What does he cry at? Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. And then he he sweats drops of blood. Now that's a real medical condition that occurs when someone is facing extreme anguish, extreme pain, severe anxiety. What is this a picture of Jesus? This is a picture of Jesus Christ afraid. And that statement, if you know anything about Jesus, should shock you because Jesus was never afraid. Jesus faced death before. People tried to to arrest him and mob him and kill him and he looked it in the face and he walked away. He went up to the arrogant and the powerful of that culture and he stood toe-to-toe with them and flipped tables Not only that, Jesus had told his disciples, check this out, he had told his disciples again and again and again, I'm going to die. So why now, the day before his death, is he all terrified and afraid? Because he didn't just tell them, I'm going to die, he said, I'm also going to rise from the dead. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus knew he was going to be resurrected. So if he knew he was going to be resurrected, why is he so afraid? History is littered with the stories of men and women and boys and girls who have walked to their death without fear, with courage. So why is Jesus, who knows the future, why is he sweating drops of blood? Why is he anguished and anxious? Look at verse 42. Please look. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. What on earth is Jesus talking about? Well, the cup is a metaphor. He's not literally lying there holding a cup. The cup is a metaphor that's used throughout the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, the part of the Bible before Jesus, that represents judgment, the judgment of God. Now, that word alone is confusing to us because we think judgment and punishment are separate things. You get judged in a court of law and then you get punished by being sent to prison or whatever. But that's not what the word judgment means in the Bible. Judgment is punishment. And the word cup and judgment together is what is used to talk about God judging people. God pouring out punishment on people. You see, it's this cup that terrifies Jesus. Jesus is the one saying, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. It's what's in this cup That scares him. So what is in the cup? Let me ask you again. Jesus is there sweating blood, crying out. What is in the cup? The wrath of his Father God is in that cup. The cup that Jesus must drink from was the judgment of God himself. The wrath of God unleashed, unceasing, and unimaginable in fury. When Jesus looked towards his death, what was it that he was afraid of? Was it that the crucifixion was so violent and so horrific? We see maybe paintings of it or movies of it, and we say, well, it must be that. It must be that it was such a horrific death. Jesus was afraid of the physical element of it, but that's not right. That's not true. That's not what the Bible says. As he waited his arrest and trial and execution, he did not fear men. He feared his own father. Why? My friends, who killed Jesus? The book of Isaiah makes it very, very clear who killed Jesus. It was the Lord's will to crush him when Jesus lay upon that cross and he breathed his last, he was drinking and continued to drink from the cup of wrath that his father poured out on him. God killed Jesus. Why? Why would God, God pour out this anger on the one he loves the most? Because of you. Because of me. God knew that is the only way that you and I could be saved. Do you understand that? The anger that Jesus accepted is your anger. It's what you deserve for what you've done. It's what I deserve for what I've done. The wrath that Jesus drank is ours. Why? Because you know the truth. That every single one of us in this room, no matter where you've come from, have spent our lifetimes ignoring God. Turning our backs on Him, saying no to Him. And the Bible calls that sin. And the wages of sin, the payment for sin, is death. That is what we must face. But God loves you. And because he loves you, he took the anger you deserve and poured it out on his son. And that's why that scene of the cross is so, so bizarre to us. What happens again? Do you remember? The sky goes dark. Why? Because dark and sky in the Bible is a sign of judgment. The curtain is torn. Why? Because the curtain represented the separation of us and God. And it was torn by what Jesus did. That's why when he cries out to his father, into your hands I commit my spirit, He's again telling us that it was God who was in control of it all. And that's why 1,000 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah, he wrote this, listen. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us gone to his own way to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. My friends, Jesus went to the cross to take your punishment so you could stand before God forgiven. I don't stand here before you as a perfect man who has earned my way into the Christian faith. The opposite. No one who is a Christian is a Christian because of their own holiness and goodness. They are a Christian because they know they are not good. They're not holy. What is your hundred year plan? We know that the vast majority of us, we won't be on this earth anymore, will we? The question is where will you be? Let me ask you as frankly as possible are you going to heaven? Has anyone ever asked you that before? Are you going to heaven? Let's take it a step further. Imagine you were to die tonight. And you get up to the gates of heaven. Not that the Bible says there are any, but you get to the gates of heaven and God is waiting there for you and God says, why should I let you in? What would you say? Perhaps you'd say, well, I've been a good person. I've tried to be good. I've tried to do nice things. I've tried to do righteous things. Perhaps you say, well, I've been a religious person. For goodness sakes, God, I just went to this service tonight. I've been baptised. I've been confirmed. I've done X, Y, and Z. My friends, the Bible makes it clear that your good works are nothing more than a coat of paint on a condemned building. They might look very, very pleasant to other people, but the inside is still broken. Jesus died on the cross so you can go to heaven. His death was enough. The reason every year we celebrate his death is because he died for us. His death was enough. You don't have to add to it. You couldn't add to it if you tried. Jesus died on the cross so you can go to heaven. The transaction is clear. Your sin on his shoulders, your wrath poured out on him and his perfection given to you. The question is, have you put your faith in him? One of the most common questions I get asked as a minister or a pastor is how you become a Christian. How do you do it? Do you have to get baptized? Do you have to start going to church and give money to church and do X, Y, and Z? Let me tell you the wonderful, glorious news. No. The way you become a Christian is by following what Jesus said. Jesus says, repent repent. And believe. Turn away from the way you've been living, say sorry for your sin, and put your faith in Him. And tonight, I'm going to pray right now and give you, if that's you here tonight, the opportunity to put your faith in Jesus. Or perhaps you've done that before, but you've wandered a long way from Him. Well, I want to give you the chance tonight to recommit, now, this Palm Sunday, to our Lord Jesus, who died on the cross, taking the wrath you deserve. It's not magical words, it's not a spell. It's just ordinary people talking to a glorious God. So please bow your heads and let's pray. And if that's you tonight, please pray with me. Father God, we are not worthy to come before you. You know our sin. You know the way we've turned from you. You know what we've done. You know where we've been. You know what we've seen. Father, I'm sorry. Forgive me, Lord. Father, I know that Jesus died for me. And what that means is Jesus died and took my punishment. He took my wrath. So I don't have to. Help me to believe, to have my faith not in myself, but in you and your son. Give me your spirit to help me live as a Christian, to be a person not obsessed with what people think of me, not obsessed with my past, my failures or my successes, but someone who lives for you. I pray all of this in your Son, my Saviour's name, Jesus. Amen.